Give the gift of liberty this holiday season by becoming a Cato sponsor on behalf of a friend or loved one. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor, and if you support our work with $1,000 or more, I'll give you or your designee a shout-out on the podcast. Help us advance the values of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace by becoming a Cato podcast sponsor. That website, again, is cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, December 18th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. What happens when the laws, the rules that govern you and your decisions are, in a sense, behind a paywall? In the case of GeorgiaVPublicResource.org, that's one of the issues at stake. But according to Cato's Trevor Burris, a co-author of Cato's Brief in that case, there are some good reasons to believe this case is a closer call than you might expect. So Timothy B. Lee, formerly of the Cato Institute, wrote in 2006 uh, about what uh, he termed the perverse consequences of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and uh, this notion that um, giving exclusivity over uh, certain important things that the public, by all rights, ought to have access to is, at the very least, severely problematic. So uh, here we are in 2019. What is the case of Georgia v. PublicResource.org and what's implicated? Well, the state of Georgia, of course, has a code of laws and it has what's called an annotated code. And anyone who's ever been to law school appreciates an annotated code. It's not, it's not just the laws written down to read them. It, it's with commentary, including court cases that are relevant to interpreting something, cross-references, historical details, maybe uh, references to law review articles, just generally things to help you better understand the law. They have claimed, and if many other states actually do this, I think it's 11 uh, states claimed copyright over the annotated code, not the code, not the basic code, but the annotated code. And they've given that copyright, the, the exclusive ability to distribute that to the legal research company Lexis, of which someone would have to pay $404 to access the Georgia annotated code. Now, the company publicresource.org is actually a nonprofit whose mission is to uh, allow access to citizens of the sort of needed things that they they need, codes of law, judicial opinions uh, for the purpose of better government. They went and purchased actually the physical copies of the printed physical copies of all 186 volumes of the Georgia Code annotated, scanned them into a PDF form, uploaded them to their website, distributed them on USB drives. And Georgia came in and said, cease and desist. And they said, no, you can't copyright the law. Georgia said, no, this is not the law. This is the annotated code. And it went to the district court where public resource lost and then they won at the 11th Circuit. And then Georgia petitioned the Supreme Court with a case that got a lot of attention from a lot of amici. And the court agreed to hear the case and it will be hearing the case. The oral arguments will be in early December. So uh, I'm trying to think about what kind of terms to think about this in. And I'm thinking of maybe uh, a publication of Shakespeare which is in the public domain, uh, but an annotated version with lots of references and uh, you know, a more robust version that allows you to 
get more information and go on little side quests, if you will, to learn more about uh, what is being said in in a piece. Why? How is this different? It's different because the source. Uh, most of the Eleventh Circuit's opinion is not so much about looking at the annotations and trying to decide whether or not they're unique enough or creative enough to deserve copyright protection. It's really about whether the source of the annotations themselves, even though they're made for hire uh, by people at Lexis and some firms, whether that the source is still ultimately the sovereign state of Georgia and particularly the Georgia Code revision. So what's really happening here, This the case, uh, the 11th Circuit opinion, is very much a first principles case where it's talking about the meaning of the people and their laws and that they own the laws and they need to access them as a matter of due process, for example, and many other for many other reasons. And because the Georgia Code Commission, Code Revision Commission has a big, big stake in precisely saying what the annotations are, and because the annotations are pretty crucial to understand the law, the court ruled that it was basically a product of the sovereign state of Georgia just as much as the, the law itself unannotated. Un and that would be the biggest difference between this and a Shakespeare work. What's really happening at the debate at the court, though, is you have a bunch of amici saying, well, you know, we need to incentivize this annotation stuff. That's not free. That takes time. We need to have rewards for our labor and under the theory of copyright. Uh, and actually, the U.S. government uh, applied or asked for divided time. The U.S. government is not a party of this case, but often the Solicitor General will file a brief as an amicus and then also ask for a divided oral argument. And they did both in this and they're on the side of Georgia. They they think that the code, the annotated code can be copyrighted as are many of the states that weighed in to say, we have a copyrighted code and if we lose this case, then we will lose our copyright on our code and that would be bad. In your view, how clear cut is this? Because at, for, at first blush, it seems, well, look, the, the public's access to the law the laws that they are that govern them is not really in question here, right? Yes, the Le Lexus actually is part of their deal with the state of Georgia. They publish an unannotated code for free access, just not the annotated code. So, guys, why is this issue so important, and and where where do you come down? So I, I think it's a closer call. We filed in support of public resource. It's a closer call, though, than just saying you can't, you know, the law itself has got to be publicly accessible. But I think that the it will be a pretty interesting decision because the 11th Circuit opinion is extremely fact dependent upon how much Georgia has control. I'll read you a little excerpt here from the 11th Circuit opinion. First and of critical importance to our analysis is that the Georgia General Assembly is the driving force behind their creation. The Code Revision Commission exerts authoritative influence over the creation of the annotations and the commission indisputably is an arm of the General Assembly. Thus, just as in uncopyrightable works that were created by the Ohio Supreme Court, the annotations are, in a powerful sense, a work created by the Georgia State Legislature. You could imagine a factual situation, perhaps, where certain annotations did not were not created with such direction and sort of hands-onness from a, a member of the General Assembly, a body of the General Assembly, and maybe some state could say that, well, our annotations, you know, they don't come from our, our code revision commission. They come from private lawyers who are working and that's copyrighted. But it may be in this one, it is the product of a sovereign state. And that where we have to have this question because we've had 
decisions in the past about, say, judicial opinions. Uh, there are cases in the 19th century about whether or not you can copyright a judicial opinion or even collecting them together and then publishing those. And they've said no. And it's not because the judicial opinion isn't a work of creativity or possibly a philosophy and you can have some very beautiful judicial opinions. It's because the judge is paid by the state. The judges articulate in the law of the states and that way the law is the people's. And the question here, though, is if if you have a creative act of a judge that can't that can't be copyrighted, well, does the creative act of someone who is also essentially employed by the state and paid by the state uh, that helps articulate and understand the law something that can't be copyrighted? And I come down on the idea that it can't be copyrighted. And I don't think we have to worry about many of these concerns with copyright, some of which are overblown, but what we always hear is that, you know, without J.K. Rowling having a copyright in Harry Potter, she wouldn't have had the, you know, incentive to create Harry Potter. I don't think there's any worry that the states would not have incentives to create annotated codes for a variety of reasons uh, and pay for them, partially because they're actually their own employees use them a lot for law students. There's a bunch of reasons. And of course, they're not going to stop making laws because they can't copyright them and the annotations on top of them. So I think that if you kind of write that's not balance. that's not why you make that's not why you make laws exactly, <laughs> and I think if you weigh the balance together and you say and you say yeah at the end of the day the public policy justification doesn't weigh on the side of the state they'll create this anyway it definitely weighs on the side of letting people access I mean four hundred dollars a month is a lot to access the Georgia Code I and mean, that's it's a pretty big or four hundred dollars a year sorry uh, that's still a lot to access the annotated code um, and there's also come some concerns about if you're going through these private businesses like Lexus to access the Georgia code, they also track their users more than you'd want an agent of the state. So there's some privacy concerns involved. I think if you weigh all those together, uh, this should not be copyrightable. Yeah, it it, it seems odd. The, the problem here uh, uh, seems to be the exclusivity that was assigned by Georgia. Yes, precisely. And yeah. that and that is that seems to be really untenable. Yes. And it's, I mean, the amount of control that Georgia has and then the exclusivity they gave to Lexus, but the amount of control that they exercise over the annotations is, again, the, the for the lower court, the, the defining factual element of the case. Um, and they, they, including telling them what, what judicial opinions to list as part of the annotations, what histories to list as part of the annotations. And so that means it, it comes from the people in that sense. And the people pay their legislators and they pay these people to make these laws and to make these annotations. And therefore, they deserve access to them. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute and co-author of the Cato Institute's brief in Georgia v. publicresource.org. Please consider becoming a Cato podcast sponsor. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to make a gift today. And thank you.